0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this World Extreme Medicine Live Academy session number 22. No, sorry, this is number 23. This is a military medicine careers panel. So nice to meet you all. My name's Dr. Will Duffin. I'm a GP. I'm also the education lead at WEM. And full disclosure, I'm a fully-fledged civvy. So I know very little about the military. My my granddad was in the RAF. He flew in bomber command, but that is, is as close to the military as I've got. But my role this evening really is just to steward the fun because I had the pleasure of introducing you all to our three panelists who've got a lot of experience and I'll hand over to them in a moment to, uh, get them to introduce themselves. Uh, but we're joined by, uh, Major Nat Taylor, she's a junior lecturer of military general practice at the Acad- academic department of military general practice. She's a GP in the British Army and she's been deployed everywhere Afghanistan, Oman, Uzbekistan, Estonia you name it. We've got Alex Banford, uh, he originally trained as a physiotherapist and then he went on to study medicine and is now a GP in the Royal Navy uh, based in the Commando Training Center in Limpstone. And we're also joined by Kat Davidson, she's a military GP. Uh, uh, currently in staff and command and she works for the deputy head of the Royal Air Force and she too has had some pretty wild uh, adventures through her career so far. And We're going to hear from all three of those. So they're all GPs, but we've got one, uh, uh, we've got a member from the uh, Army, RAF and Air Force to talk to you this evening. So without further ado, I will just introduce you to our fabulous panel. Everyone, please say Hello. Hello. Come on let's have a bigger bigger, uh, welcome than that. (laughs) That's the most limp-wristed hello I think I've heard in in years. (laughs) So I'd like to start with you Nat if that's okay. Um, Over to you.
1: Thank you so much for that lovely introduction Will. I'm just going to share my screen with everybody. Uh, So, you don't have to see my face. Uh, So, my name is Major Natalie Taylor. I'm currently one of the uh, lecturers at the uh, Military Department of uh, Academic Department of Military General Practice, which is based in Birmingham. And just a quick run through of my military career. I joined the military uh, quite a while ago now, in 2004, where I got sponsored through the last three years of my med school. I then, oh, oh, technical issues. There we are. Uh, And at my interview, when I joined the military, they asked me why I wanted to join. And I said, it's because I was in the Girl Guides and I love camping. So anyone that's thinking about joining the army, you've got to enjoy camping because the uh, army certainly take you on a lot of camping trips. Um, And so once I'd finished my training at Cardiff University, I did my foundation years in Wales. And then I went on to Sandhurst to do our three month, 12 week officer training course where we learned to be uh, our British army officers. I then went to do, um, our um, postgraduate medical officers course. for three months and then swiftly I was deployed to Afghanistan, out to Germany and I've deployed all over the world as Will's already said. So um, from being in a lovely hospital in the NHS in the UK, I was then deployed to places like this as is Oman in the desert. Um, the picture you can see there is what was my ambulance come treatment bay and the bed in the front, that little green and silver thing, camp cot as we call it, that was my bed for um, six weeks while I was out in the desert exercising with the British military. And then, only three weeks later, getting back from Oman, I then subsequently deployed on operations to support uh, NATO, uh, NATO's even NATO mission uh, out in Estonia, where it was this cold with all the snow and the ice. So uh, the opportunities that the army gives you are far-reaching you can be in the desert one month and the next month you're in arctic conditions always providing medical care to keep our soldiers safe and fit and well the pictures on your right that you can see there is the inside of what we call a battlefield field ambulance so that's where you're going to then be treating anyone that maybe goes into has a cardiac problem uh, when they dive into the ice like this chap has here he's not having a cardiac issue but he's diving into the ice um or just anyone that's got kind of uh hypothermia and stuff you're kind of treating the people in quite harsh conditions. And then uh, only months later, my job changes again, and I'm now really in a privileged position. I'm working in the academic department. So I'm a GP one day a week, and four days a week, I'm working with the military to improve protecting our soldiers, how we're gonna improve performance in our soldiers, and how we're going to keep them safe and well. And my area of interest is human physiology and electronics. So we're actually looking at wearable devices, for our soldiers, and this is a device that I'm actually developing with the Hamlin Centre at Imperial College London at the moment. And then the other reason that uh, you've got these great amazing people on the panel is because we've all been really super fortunate to create our own path and have some adventures within the military, and for me, uh, I've been really lucky, I've been on um, uh, adventures all over the world with the army. Uh, Once I went to Canada um, on a climbing expedition, and here is a group of six women, one of which is me. Um, where we crossed Antarctica coast to coast via the South Pole a few years ago. Um, And I was one of the people that had organised this uh, adventure, which ended up being 61 days long. So it just goes to show that, yes, we go into fighting war zones. We go to places that are really hot and really cold um, and we're in really austere environments. But if you really want something, you can work together and the military can support you on these ventures if you want it hard enough. Uh, I've learned loads of lessons from the military Um, these are again uh, thoughts of us while we're deployed and just to show that it's not all about kind of uh, being in an austere environment and really harsh conditions. Uh, Sometimes you have to sit down and enjoy yourselves and I inflicted face masks on a whole load of roughy tufty soldiers just as a bit of relaxation. That is the army in a nutshell. Thank you Will.
0: Awesome Nat. Thank you so much. Uh, So let's hand over now to Alex. Over to you buddy.
2: Right, so so what I'll do is I'll just do a quick overview to talk about how I came into a career in the Royal Navy, um, my father came there and what I've done since joining. Um so as mentioned before, um, I actually started off as a physiotherapist. So uh, is it uh, Peter Pritchard? Um I just saw a note from you. Uh, sounds like you're a physio thinking about a medical career. Um, it's absolutely the best thing I've, I've ever did. Um, I've never looked back since going down that route, and I think the the kind of opportunities a medical career offers you are, are far beyond what you could um, sort of hope to or expect to achieve as a physiotherapist so um, definitely seriously give that some consideration um, so made a step over to medicine went to medical school uh, joined the royal marine reserves um, with a view to eventually joining the royal navy um, and then went through sort of foundation training um, uh, three years of general uh, sort of medical duties and then went through my GP training and I've just CCT'd uh, just last August, so I've just started working as a GP, which I'll come on to in a second. Um, so the Royal Marines Reserves, I think there's a few people uh, in, the, in the sort of question box talking about reserve um, options and that's definitely something worth considering. I chose it because I wanted to uh, do my commando training, which would help sort of steer my career in the Royal Navy. Um, it's pretty important to point out at this stage, um, when you consider the Royal Navy, there's three main sort of branches of it. So you've got the surface fleet and the ships, which is what everyone sort of thinks of when they think of the Navy. Um, but you've also got the Royal Marines, which are part of the Navy. And I think a lot of people often think that that's actually part of the Army, but it's not. It's, it's part of the Navy and it's our amphibious force. Um, and we've also got submarines. So um, if you're really into that kind of thing, um, you can spend a lot of your time popping around under the sea. Sneaking around. So, um, so those are the three main areas. Um, should also mention the fleet air arm. So, we do also have aircraft um, as well. Um, so, after doing that, I, I did my foundation training uh, with the Navy down in Plymouth at Therapy Hospital, which was a pretty standard um, uh, rotation through there. Um, these are the commando values, the commando spirit that they try to instill in you when you do your sort of Royal Marine training, um, which is sort of relevant to the uh, that I'm working at the moment, and we can talk about that. Um, so once you've done your foundation training, you then go through the uh, Royal Naval College, which is based down in Dartmouth, which is a really beautiful area of South Devon. Um, I really enjoyed it after the sort of you know the stress of F1 and F2. Um, you know, getting paid to shine your shoes and iron a shirt actually is, is pretty great. Um, I don't think most people probably agree that's it's not a bad way to for a few months. Um, after that, what happens in the military is you once you've done your foundation training, um, you actually then have a, a period of uh, what's called general duties, which is usually three years, um, where you're obviously trained up to sort of you know basic SHO standard, but are given quite a lot of responsibility um, to go off and do lots of things and work as a doctor um, for different sort of uh, parts of the military. So for me, that meant um, joining a Royal Marine Commando unit. Um, and I was responsible for this group of people here, which is 40 uh, Commando Royal Um, and that's our battle group. We went out and trained for three months out in California, in the Mojave Desert, which was um, a stressful but uh, enjoyable experience. Um, and that's my medical team. So, as well as sort of being a doctor and delivering care yourself, you'll actually be responsible for looking after all the other medics and uh, overseeing the care that they're delivering as well. Um, so it's more than just sort of you know, the, the, the sort of basic doctor roles. Um, you also have a lot of, sort of supervisory roles as well. Um, and you're responsible for writing reports and other bits of, um, bits of work too. And it's actually really fun, sort of, being part of a team like that. Um, I guess the sort of crowning uh, moment for me on my sort of doing those general duties was I was uh, a doctor, I was selected to do the um, British Trans Americas expedition. So, we are very fortunate, and uh, we, through the military and funded by the military, were able to um, ride motorbikes and the length of the Pan American Highway. So, um, all the way down from the bottom of Patagonia up through South America, Central America, up through North America. And, and this is us coming up through um, the Arctic Circle um, up towards Prudhoe Bay in northern Alaska. Um, so, there were plenty of thrills and spells on the way. There, there were, of course, quite a lot of crashes. And um, usually in the military, your your majority of work is taken up as um, sort of dealing with primary care. And um, also we do get trained in sort of pre-hospital care and sort of managing emergencies um, at the roadside, as you can see here. Um, that's how we were sleeping most of the time. So again, probably it should probably be sort of comfortable with the idea of sleeping relatively. Um, different places, um, although I'm sure Kat can talk about the RIF and what their sleeping arrangements are normally like, uh, which tends to be a little bit more comfortable, um, but even the RIF do spend quite a bit of time in the field and places like that. Um, my point with this slide really is just to highlight that as a military doctor your your roles extend far beyond that of just delivering your medical care and you know you're sort of expected to muck in and do other things whether that's mechanical stuff helping to fix the bikes um you know or feeding of people and, and various you know organizational roles um, and that's part of the joy as well of sort of came down this career is that you're you're expanding your horizons beyond beyond medicine i think for a lot of people they find that very refreshing and it's quite exciting to to see that there's, there's other things out there other than just the medicine um, then was we'll on to GP training. Not a huge amount to say about that, but if you are GP training within the military um, across all three services, um, there are a few nuances um, to the training um, sort of rotations that you can do. Um, some of which are now at the Stanford Hall, which is the new Headley Court, which is the Defence um, sort of rehabilitation centre. Um, so, so that's one option. Plus, there are other options within. Uh, uh, sort of the mental and psychiatric part of the military as well. Um, I talked a little bit about ships. I've been I mean, back there, i only spent one day on a ship, so a lot of my work, as I said before, has been with the Royal Marines. But, um, obviously, colleagues of mine have been away to sea, they've been traveling around the world and, and have had an incredible time. Um, personally, I find the sort of ships uh, you know a little bit claustrophobic. You, uh, I had ideas of sort of playing a nice porthole and being able to look out to sea and have a nice time, but uh, you, you do spend a lot of time inside uh, these enormous um, machines and don't get a lot of time to uh, spend yourself on the deck, but um, still a great experience. Um, so finally, just to close, this is where I'm working now um, as a GP, so at the Commando Training Centre, so this is where we um, they put all the uh, recruits through the uh, Royal Marine Training. Um, It's a really interesting role for GP because we've got a 14-bed inpatient ward, so we've got some really interesting um, sort of infections and musculoskeletal injuries that we deal with. Um, We've also got a two-bed resus that we use to teach to treat uh, heat casualties um, and other sort of head injuries uh, that come into us as well, as well as all the routine primary care. So there's some really sort of interesting mix of medicine, and it's, it's certainly not sort of typical sort of general practice and um, a very sort of motivated and yeah different population that we've just been dealing with in the NHS um, So that's it for me, that's a quick run through of, um, of what I'm up to so far um, I think everybody's career is, is very very different literally so um, but uh, I think kind of the key is just to find your own path and uh, I'm sure at the end we can take some questions um, about that Back to you Will
0: uh thanks very much alex that was brilliant i I really like the idea of uh as you say expanding your horizons beyond medicine so we've heard uh we've heard from nat who's in the army we've just heard from alex who's in the navy and next we're going to hear from kat davidson who is representing the raf kat over to you
3: thank (laughs) you for the introduction um my name is kat davidson um i'm a royal air force gp so I wanted to be a pilot, and I went for pilot training, but I had no hand-eye coordination. So I was sponsored through as a medical bursar. So I got two weeks in—I got two weeks up in Scotland to do some training—and then I was paid a bursary to cover my tuition fees. Then, when I hit my third year, I was a cadet, and I was sponsored through all my, all my medical training through university, and then came out the other side post house offices jobs. So for us, we go to then to Royal Air Force College Cranwell, where we do basic officer training. We did um, eight weeks and then we go and do general duty time. So whether you want to be an anaesthetist, a surgeon, a GP, any other, then you will go and spend time on a station and you'll spend up to six months where you'll do courses in aviation medicine. You'll spend time to get to know a base, get to know how the military operates and really teach you about being a doctor in the military. It's a great six months. I think I skied for three of those. Um, I did a bit of GP. um, The aviation medicine was excellent. Went and spent time at the Center of Aviation Aviation Medicine, um, into the chamber. A broad spectrum of experience. And that then sets you up to then go back into your core training. So for me, it was GP. So in 2006 to 2009, I was a GP trainee. And I did that in the National Health Service and in the military. So if people concerned that the qualification they get may not transfer to the NHS, it does. You're you're exactly the same. So I did my GP training, I came out the other side, and I went to be a general doctor on a medical centre. I was in charge of stores, pharmacy, medics, nurses, was a real team how you operate in the military as a team you always become like I'd probably call you a deputy practice manager or a junior partner and you just look after clinical governance you look after all the different parts of medicine and you learn on the job you will write reports on the juniors you will give them training every week and you look after your team from there I enjoyed it but I really wanted to get out and about So what I did is I did um, survival training. I went off for three weeks to the jungle, to Belize, and I learned how to survive in the jungle. Now, the reason I did this is because then I then doctored survival training. So I then spent uh, 25 days straight in the jungle, looking after a team of military, um, not leaving the jungle. And the difference there is how you control risk. So as a GP in the military, One example, some of the guys decide they had a chicken, which was live, which they were looking after, and then they were supposed to kill and eat because they're on survival training. Well, these guys, their chicken died, and when it died, they still decided to eat it. So I could not understand how I had three in the middle of the jungle. I think I was about 90 minutes from a hospital, went down with serious D&V, and and really struggled to get the hydration on top of it, and you're in the middle of nowhere. So it's up to you. This is probably me, probably two years out as a qualified GP. Even that, having to make a call: do I get them out? Do I move them? It's all on you. So it's a team because I had medics, but it's also understanding how you control risk and like, can you keep them here? Can you put IV lines in the middle of jungle? I mean, I was living literally under trees. Um, we didn't have tents or anything. It was just open jungle. It was a wet and dry routine, and then you are literally working out. Can you can you hold them or can you move them out? Now, that to me is what I really enjoy. I was not going to be a Jeep in the NHS where I could control my environment and do the same thing every day. I wanted variety. The, the slides I'm showing here, there's a snake under there. That's the guys on desert survival. So they were sent, they sent out with little food, little water, and then we go and track them down um, and they're going to survive. So there was my junior days doing a lot of fun, so I'm a qualified GP at this point. I went out to support a small team training in East Africa. I spent three months with a team of fourteen, and my job was to look after them, was to keep them because we were in the middle of nowhere. We didn't have a hospital there. We didn't have ability to get out, so I was there to support them. And um, in the middle of all this, I took up I took thirty four London Business School people up Kilimanjaro. And I think the bit I will say you do learn in the military is how to plan. I mean, I will admit, we set our line. We got them up 10 minutes before they needed to get up. This was London Business School, executive MBAs, but we had to get them up early because their admin was all over the place. So in the military, you're taught timings, you're taught to pack your bags, you're taught when you get tired. And so I was there as the medic to support this expedition, but I was also there to help them understand how they could look after themselves so i'm now qualified as i'm now through as a qualified gp i'm so this is so i qualified in 2009 this is probably about 2013 14 and i go on a, a rugby tour and i go out to india to support the royal air force um, sevens out in india we we're doing a bit of engagement with the local schools we were doing tournaments and that is uk going out to another country. And having opportunities to work with other nations, um, and it's a bit—it's messaging, it, it's working together, and it's also got teaching. So the team were, and they had to have a doctor. The doctor had to go because of where they were. So that was a great opportunity. Now, throughout my, as my career progressed, I made the call that I was going to no longer be fully clinical GP. I wasn't going to work in a medical centre. I was going to go what we call staff and command. So I made the call that I would go and do slightly different. So I'm no longer doing clinical every day. I'm now in different roles. And this was me with the United Nations in South Sudan. I was the deputy force medical officer, and I spent nine months running all the medical facilities uh, in South Sudan. Now, on the left, that's me on the radio. I did some radio shows to the UN and the local population. It was incredibly tough Trying to do topics that would um, breach all but that was on the radio. I had a weekly Dr Cat slot and then I did some obviously fears and took the guys out and that was nine months of working with a multicultural, multinational environment, probably one of the best nine months of my career. Um, but you get those opportunities in the military to go and work with other organisations. After that I was I was also commanded Tactical Medical Wing. Tactical Medical Wing is you may have seen that we have um, aircraft that put we put on the back of the aircraft we put an intensive care unit. So our anesthetists go and learn how to operate in the air as an anesthetist. So if anybody's injured around the world, the Royal Air Force will go and pick you up. So I commanded that unit. So I had an opportunity to have 157 people who are on who were on standby to go around the world. I sent a t- we sent a team of 13 out to. Um, Hurricane Irma at 12 hours notice so you go from a GP to suddenly managing people to suddenly having a vast breadth of opportunity and it's all about the boys and girls and they're learning so they enjoyed their time out and then you constantly train and you develop people so not only they've they've got to manage budgets they've got to do the logistics they've got to get the medical kit they've got to you're battling the conditions so that was my command tool of, of tactical medical wing, and then I went into what we call staff and command properly. So the Royal Air Force, for which the three services do, they put me on a year of leadership training, so to hone the skills of leadership. Post that I have worked in Defence medical defence engagement, so if you think about how we operate around the world, we can't operate without our allies, so I worked a lot of work with the Americans, with the French, how can we integrate our medical facilities? If we have a hurricane or an earthquake, how can we go out with them? How can our kit work? Our people work? So I that was my that was my last job, but I got seconded to go and look after COVID-19 in the overseas space. So I've spent four months working our operational headquarters, so again, no not seeing patients, but just supporting all our medical elements around the world to so how we deal with COVID. Because I know the UK had a very tough time with COVID and of course COVID was abroad. So we had to look after our people, we had to make sure um, we put all the measures in. So that was my last job. Thank you.
0: Great stuff, Kat. Thank you so much. Um, I uh, I really like the idea of a weekly Dr. Cat radio show. Can we bring that back, please? <laughs> I also love the idea of um, killing and eating dead chickens in the jungle and having to deal with the fallout from that in terms of just savage diarrhea <laughs> that's not what i expected the military to be about and uh, yeah some amazing experiences um great so thanks to all three of you guys for just telling us your story what i'd like to do now is move over to q a now uh, the, nothing is off the table if there's anything that interests you about any of the stories from our three panelists please fire away and um uh, send us a question in the chat box and we'll work our way uh, we'll work our way through those. So absolutely anything at all that has piqued your interest uh, or would help you Pursue your own career uh, In a military sense, then please do that now And while you're thinking of your questions I'm just going to very quickly tell you about some of the great stuff we are doing at WEM at the moment and the headline thing which I'm just posting in the chat right now Um, is our expo so our conference is back for the ninth year and for the first time we're virtual Um, it's a fully functional event so it's basically pretty close to a face-to-face event it's on the 17th and 18th of october this year and we really really hope you can join us we've got a great lineup of, of different speakers and you'll be able to meet there's some speed dating functions so you can meet other delegates you can have your own little breakout rooms We've got three different stages on the go, uh, and it's, we've got some military content. We've got humanitarian, expeditions, space, pre-hospital care, the works. It's going to be brilliant. I really hope you can join us. Check out that link um, for more details on that. We've also got a podcast, which you can get on any uh, podcasting app, which, which is totally awesome. And there's the WEM Academy, which um, has got a great uh, range of free online content uh, different videos lots of inspiration from different um, different people in the world of extreme medicine so please have a look at at, at all of that great so we have got a few questions here um, already now I think what we'll do is start with some kind of generic questions for all of you and then we'll um, I've got a few things I want to ask as well for 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 you you individually Um, let's start about Uh, experiences and skills so charlotte edens uh, made a really good point about what in terms of getting into the army or indeed the navy or the air force what kind of experiences and skills will really help you when you're actually at the point of applying you know when you're when you want to kind of get into that world nat you're nodding start us off
1: um so i can only speak for the army obviously because that's what i am but I think the most important thing is that you go on the fan visits, so the familiarisation visits. Uh, if you go to your local territory, uh, your local army, navy, RAF recruiting, uh, and just get on those visits. Because um, yes, you need to be able to be able to pass the physical fitness test, and you need to be able to do the aptitude tests and all of the tests that the military do to get in. But um, I think you need to really kind of have that experience of going and visiting a medical uh, military uh, unit really before you um, sign up on dotted line.
0: And Alex, what's it like from uh, Navy point of view? Any Anything you'd add to that?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's similar um, similar points for me. I think you can never be too prepared for an application like that. And actually, um, like any job application, the more research you do and more prepared you seem on the day, the more likely you are to be successful, even if you end up deciding it's not for you. So you just want to make sure you're in the best possible position to to be off a job and then you know, take your time during that process to decide. Whether you actually want it or not. Um, And some people apply for uh, different services at the same time as well. So that's also something to consider. But definitely do your homework, do your background reading, educate yourself about it. And uh, there's no real reason why you shouldn't get through that initial application process. Uh, Anything you'd add to that, Kat? I
3: think everyone that works in medicine, or whatever your skill, actually does. Pretty good, pretty well. As uh, going to the military, because the skills you know—delegation, um, prioritisation—generally people do really well in the medical sphere, because it's just what they've learned through their careers.
0: And, uh, and another interesting point here, um, from um, Jason Willett, who wants to know how important fitness is, particularly as a medic. I mean, you, presumably you're more removed from the from frontline action, but are you still expected to have quite a high level of fitness? um uh, uh, going in what what are all your thoughts on that and you're all in very incredibly fit people but how much of a prerequisite is is that
1: I think you've all got. There's the basic fitness test, and um, which varies depending on which whether you join the RAF, the Navy, or the Army. The Army being the hardest one, of course. Um, so uh, if you're not into fears, join the RAF. Uh, joking, joking. Uh, but there is cats <laughs> on mute, so you can't. I like only
0: that. a matter of time yeah. before some yeah. inter forces banter was going to start. <laughs> I
1: think yeah, uh, but but yeah. so yes, you have to be a basic fitness. But what I say to my medics, so the people um, that are the closest to the action is that ultimately they need to be able to uh, carry the weight that the guys carry when they're fighting and then if something goes wrong and there's someone injured they need to be able to get to them fast and then also be in a good enough condition to treat them so you know how when we get a crash bleep in the hospital you don't run to it because nobody wants to be out of breath when they start CPR. The same is true on the battlefield so that you don't have to be super fit and there are people that you'll see that aren't that fit but you definitely want to be starting young and fit
0: um alice palmer's asking for advice to the medical student she can't decide between the army or the air force are there any major differences uh nat has said obviously the army uh, cat any um any come back to to that why should alice perhaps choose the air force instead
3: so I'm going to argue probably all the opportunities are the same to a point across all three services. Um, yeah, there is a consideration, consideration the army digs in and we check in. Um, but I think if you're interested in space, aviation, medicine, uh, future, um, that's where we sit. We're a very technical focused, um, organization. So space is definitely taking off. Um, we've got people in the States on PhDs looking at space. Uh, if you want to do something like that, it's the Royal Air
0: Force. And you've mentioned something in your bio about aviation medicine. Can you just tell us briefly what that is? That's presumably fairly unique to the Air Force.
3: Yeah, it is. It's because in effect we have a lot of pilots and they obviously different aircraft types, um, different ergonomic issues, different um, crew resource management, so how they operate together, different, the physiology of being being, uh, at height. And so therefore when you transport a patient back uh, I mean, your appliance at 33,000 feet, but you're pressurized to 8,000, that has effects on the body. So, we do a lot of how the body is affected in flights.
2: Sounds
0: pretty cool. Okie doke. Um, a question for all of you guys Will Will McClune would like to know about how the opportunities for military doctors in the reserves compare to full time roles? Alex.
2: Good question. I mean, I'm not sure i the best place to answer this, but my experience is that um, actually the, the, um, the opportunities for reservist doctors are very good. Um, maybe sometimes a bit too good for the regulars, <laughs> you know, to get on board with. Um, and actually, uh, you, you know, frequently hear of reservist doctors um away on, on operations. Certainly they're um, entitled to their fair share of adventurous training as well. So, um, depending again on, on um, which service you're joining up? I know probably a bit more actually funny enough about army reserves, but uh, certainly in navy as well. You, you can get away quite a bit. The other two are probably better to answer their, for their services.
0: Yeah, um, let's hear from let's hear from you now.
1: Sorry, as I say, Alex, you're completely right. Um, in the army, uh, because there has been we've been quite short of GPs in the regulars for a while. We're now doing much better, but there is um, like a rotation and the, the reservists. They just put their hand up and say. I want to go to afghanistan for these months and then they get sent to afghanistan so they can pick and choose the rotations that suit their career and their time out easily and then if you're looking at secondary care again Um, There are less opportunities because there's less opportunities for secondary care generally where we are in the military at the moment and how deployed our hospitals are, but there again is still the opportunity to deploy and AT is, uh, sorry, adventurous training is open to all and arguably a lot of our um, big expeditions um, take reservist doctors because you tick the box of being a reservist and obviously being a doctor. So um, there is definitely uh, a lot of opportunity for the reserves.
0: So no, Nat, you just mentioned something called adventurous training there so that that's a thing tell tell us definitely. more about that
1: well we can all talk about adventurous training definitely but um so that's uh, the way that the military stresses people in a controlled environment so we all know about challenging ourselves and stretching our uh resilience so um in a controlled manner we do things that are adventurous so as simple as going hill walking or climbing our soldiers are all exposed to this and we run courses to get people qualified um, we've all been lucky enough to get certain qualifications so for example i'm a civilian qualified mountain leader and as a result uh, we can take people out um, and climb mountains and whatnot, and I'm working on my mountaineering ones at present. Um, and then when we go and do expeditions, so, so these expeditions that you've seen and heard about, they're classed as, as adventurous training, and so uh, we can go out on those as military people, and we just so happen to be doctors. There was um, a question by somebody about, do physiotherapists go on these expeditions? Loads of medical people go on them. We don't necessarily choose people per se because they're a physiotherapist or because they're a doctor. Often the skill set is just as a result, just so happens, coincidence. It really depends on the med planning. Arguably, I'd say a physio is way more useful than a doctor in certain circumstances. Like when I go skiing, a physio
3: is way better.
0: Have you been doing some adventurous training, Kat?
3: I, uh, I've not. Do you know what? No, because of the time, I've not had the time to but um, the opportunities are definitely there, especially the reserves. Absolutely. They get the opportunities just like the regulars. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Question for you, Kat. Uh, Joe Leslie would like to know specifically about uh, nursing officers in the RAF. Do they have similar opportunities to doctors?
3: Absolutely. So um, generally we, as a, we have nursing across the board, we have nursing at all ranks, we have nursing officers. And they um, they start generally they'll do their clinical, and then they get to a certain stage and they move pretty much into management. But yep, we send nurses to cover on our big operations. We can send nurses out to cover expeditions, small teams. It's the skill set that they bring, um, and it's the same with paramedics as well. Independent practitioners we will use as independent, and we may do remote supervision. And um, so the opportunities are all there.
0: Fantastic. A great question. It's just coming from Connor Maxwell. Thanks Connor about secondary care training programs in the military and perhaps Nat and Alex, you could speak to this. I know we're all GPs, but what, you know, how diverse is the military in terms of other specialties uh, routes that you can, you can follow in, in a career pathway?
2: Yeah. So um, I'm speaking on behalf of the Navy. So, um, there are absolutely secondary care opportunities available, and usually what will happen is uh, you do your uh, foundational house officer years first, and then everybody goes on and does the um, two, or, one, two or three years of general duties um, where you kind of go away and have fun and get your sort of military experience. And then after that, that's when you tend to specialize. So,
1: those that do want to go into secondary care, there, there are opportunities. They do differ
2: slightly between the different services. Um, we say common themes are um specialties like anaesthetics, very popular, um uh, emergency medicine, uh, plenty of those. And although, uh, funnily enough, within the military, they're actually very competitive specialties, so um, uh, you know, contrary to uh, to the NHS, and um, orthopedics, um, you know, plastics, um, and then I'm sure there's a few others, you know, general surgery, vascular surgery, so the, the opportunities are there, but. You sort of need to be in the right place at the right time in order to get those numbers because there's, there's not huge numbers of those specialties available. I'm sure yeah. we we'll to that with her experience.
0: But it's the same in the NHS, isn't it? A lot of these um, tertiary style specialties are very competitive wherever you, you train. But is that more the case perhaps in the in the Navy or the Army? Is it, is it even more competitive?
1: Yeah well you're right um they are competitive so you know anesthetics is competitive in the NHS it's competitive in the military um the main thing to be aware of is that um the military benchmark really high so often we have everyone will benchmark uh, well, uh truly well above the 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 minimum standard and then they take the top person so if they've only got one slot and all four of you are amazing candidates You would normally get a number in the NHS, but you won't get it in the military. So that's just the thing. It doesn't mean don't apply because you should definitely apply because you've got to be in it to win it. And as Alex says, um, sometimes you might have one ENT slot and there's not going to be another one for two years because we don't need one that that often. Um, Or you might be in the army and the only neurosurgical job is in the Navy. You can swap um, cat badges, as we say, so you could transfer across to the RAF or Navy or Army as well. Um, but again nothing's easy but if you want something bad enough you're going to make it happen aren't you
0: Absolutely so hopefully Tansy that's answered your question about um, uh, different things how competitive they are with it with the military route um, and, and is there any difference between being a reservist or full uh, a full member in terms of what, what specialty you choose can you do anything with, with both those those things?
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly you can. So uh, as a reservist, you perhaps have more sway or less sway in many ways. So if you were, say, a dermatologist, you might join the reserves as a general medical physician um, and you'll go into that kind of job role. Um, so, yes, there is more, but less so, if that makes sense. So ENT would just go out as it would deploy as a general surgeon potentially um, and that sort of thing.
0: So a a few questions specifically for you, Alex, about uh, being physio. Uh, A few people want to know about specifically physios working in the military. Is that a thing? And also, you know, why were you compelled to change your career from physio to being a doctor? Yeah,
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the, the majority of physios are probably actually sit within the army. Um, so yes, there are, absolutely there are army physios and I work with one here at the Commando Training Centre, and he's kept very very busy. Um, as you can imagine, it's, it's a bit like managing a, a sports team here. You know, they're young, a bit athletic um, individuals, uh, men and now women as well, I should, should add, um, that are coming through uh, World Marine training. Um, so there's there's a huge amount of. Uh, for them to do, and they're, they're kept very busy. So, if, they, if you like your sort of uh, musculoskeletal work um, as a physiotherapist, then I, I say doing that through the arm is probably the best. Part. Um, why did I transfer? Um, I think um, this was some years ago now. So, I, I started, I, I left physiotherapy in 2007, so it's quite a while ago. I must admit, I, I just didn't feel that I was getting the career or job satisfaction that I wanted from the job, I felt it was a bit um, a bit limited in that respect um, and you know I have to say since going into medicine it's I just opened up so many doors and opportunities and that I never would have had as a physiotherapist so um, not not to downplay the role of this physiotherapist because it's still fantastic and a you know, very important job but I do think that as a you know as a doctor there are far more options available to
0: yeah, I bet there's lots of aches and sprains uh, in, in the military. I bet there's plenty of work for you as a physio, Alex. You've done is. Royal Marine commando training. Is that as nails mm. as people say it is? What's it like?
2: <laughs> so, um, yes, it's quite hard. Uh, there's so there's there's a few there's a couple of arduous courses that you can do in the military. We were talking about fitness and, and training before, and you know, kind of one of my big affairs with the NHS is that they they just Take such poor care of the you know physical and you know to some degree mental health of their staff, and you know when you're allowed to go and do exercise as an NHS worker, at your lunch break you know, it's just basically impossible. And the wonderful thing about the military mm. is that you have protected time to do sport, to do exercise. You know whether that's in your lunch break, um, you know Wednesday afternoons are usually protected times to do um, sport, um, and uh, as well as other times around that. Um, Royal Marine training is probably for people that want to kind of um, step that up. So you know, as long as you can pass your basic fitness test across the services, then you know you're fine, and um, you know you're not going to sort of get kicked out. Um, if you want to sort of take things up the level, challenge yourself more, and uh, potentially take yourself into more interesting roles within the military than doing something like commando commander training, or um, they call it peak company in the army, but it's the uh, Uh, sort of parachute regiment training, um, or the RAF regiment, the uh, big three. Um, So you can can go down that route. Um, It's incredibly physically and mentally hard. I I thought the, uh, I was quite excited about the physical challenges, but when you've thrown in sleep deprivation, hardly any food, um, you know, tired, wet, cold, All those things, actually, it's just utterly miserable. Um, And am very just to get through it and get it done. But, um, you know, it it has allowed me to go on and do some very interesting jobs as a result. So it's worth it if you brought up lots of challenge. And, and, you know, there's women that have gone through it on their commando training. Um, So it's not, you know, previously may have just been uh, just a a thing that's for men or considered for men. But just to make it very clear, it's a sort of open field now for everyone.
0: Okay. Moving on to you, Kat. Um, question from Adnan Gananchi. She'd like to know about your recent COVID role. Now you stepped away a little bit from your, your kind of clinical work um, and, and you into a more kind of managerial sphere and um, more of a leadership role. Uh, what does your day to day job look like? Is it spent mostly at your desk?
3: Yes, it is at the moment. So I do drive a desk. Um, The COVID, the COVID role was in what we call our operational headquarters. So all our military people that work around the world, whether it's in Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, it was in South Sudan, they're all controlled and managed from a central place. And so there's a medical team there. And so we were looking at it from COVID. So every time the government brought new policy things in, we had to make sure we were doing that abroad. Plus, the military's Quite a high-profile organization, and if we were to seem to be taking COVID into a place, that doesn't go down well with a country. So it's all about control measures to make sure that we we looked after our people, protected them, but also protected where we were and made them so they could still do their job. Because a lot of what we work in is security, and we have to maintain our job 24-7, whatever the situation. Um, so that was my most recent. Well
0: no. another question for you, Kat, from Catherine Jones. How early can you get into expedition medicine as an RAF medical cadet? And what things can you use to prepare during your FY1 or, or two years or your GDMO years given they try to limit AT opportunities? A couple of acronyms there that float pass me by, but perhaps you can elaborate.
3: So I'll probably go back to the courses, Will, that you run. you run some excellent courses and having that experience to understand. Obviously, as an FY1, you can operate independently with support. Um, so what I tend to do is learn, learn the basics. It's um, all about preparation. Um, so do a course so you, know, so you feel more comfortable and more secure and look out for opportunities. It could be that you take people hill walking in Wales or you cover as a medic on an event, like I think I did London to Brighton as a junior doctor, and I just learnt the skills, then your CV will slowly build up. As your CV builds up, then you will be become more in demand. I think the bit that I always do is whenever I finish an expedition, I always write a report. I always look at what went well, what went, didn't go quite so well, and I send it back into the organizers. So in effect, I'm like taking care of my clinical governance going, yep, it went fine, but we could do it better. That's always served me well because they've gone, oh, she's paid attention. She's not just rocked up, been a doctor, and then left. She's actually cared, she's followed it up. And that's always that stood me in good stead for future opportunities.
0: Nat, could you tell us a little bit about some of the work you've been doing on physiological monitors? sounds really fascinating.
1: Uh, Yes, certainly. Uh, And I think this just shows the variety of work that we do within the military. So uh, we're looking at whether wearable, I'm currently doing a COVID project actually, looking at COVID and whether we can use wearable technology to detect asymptomatic COVID patients because of the way the military works. In our basic training, you saw that picture Alex showed of the commando training center. You can't do social distancing when you're trying to train people to fight. Um, So that's uh, one of the, Uh, projects I'm currently running and then we're also looking at how um, the body is affected by heat and is there a way that physiological monitoring can detect a raise in um, your core temperature early so that we don't get any heat so we can reduce heat casualties even further than we already have and then the other one we're looking at i'm looking at is energy expenditure up at high altitude i'm very fortunate i'm going off to fingers crossed um, it's been postponed to next year after broad peak um, which is one of the 8,000 meter peaks in pakistan to look at the effects of high altitude and energy expenditure on our service personnel as well
0: So unfortunately, Nat's Broad Peak exhibition has been shelved because of COVID, but you are working on a different project in Oman instead. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Oh, thank you for letting me plug it. (laughs) So I'm taking, and the other thing that um, I'm doing is I'm taking a two month, well, a 50 day career break. So um, yes, the military, we work long hours. You do lots of time away from home and things, but there is policy and you can apply to have time out of work as you can in the NHS. So I'm taking 50 days off, uh, starting in November, COVID allowing, and I'm going to cross Oman on foot and sea kayak in a straight line. My um, colleague from Oman uh, has just drawn a straight line through her own country. um, And we're allowed five kilometers either side of this line to inspire 11 to 14 year olds to get outdoors safely post COVID, to encourage them to take on challenges and to face um, challenges so they can build resilience—something that I learned through Girl Guiding—and um, it's called Yalago. You can check, follow us on Instagram, underscore 2020 uh, and um, we're setting up a Girl Guiding badge to encourage the kids to like follow us and take on their own challenges uh, while we're having them
0: on. Oh, that is super cool! Uh, Nat yeah, keep us posted on that. We'd love to know how that how that goes. Um, great. Now I've got a, I've got a question for all of you guys. Now this is a genius question from Maddie Lily. Thanks Maddie. This is a bit of a trickier one. Okay. Maddie wants to know what is your biggest mental challenge that you've each had to tackle in the current situation? So perhaps this is a bit more about mindset, a little bit about perhaps has the military prepared you well to, to, to deal with the uncertainty and the the change and the, uh, the challenges around a, a global pandemic. Um, what are your thoughts on that?
2: I am mean, happy to go first. Uh, I mean, I think you you kind of a, really on the on the money there by saying that the military does help prepare you. And I think one thing we do get used to is change and uncertainty. In and this phrase called, or to get called, dislocation of expectation, which uh, they often throw into training, and it's just getting you used to. Quickly adapting, the quicker you can adapt to a change in circumstances, you know, the better you are, and um, you know, to adapt and survive. And I think one of the hardest things for me was actually, I was working in the NHS at the time. It was watching everyone else lose their minds, and um, <laughs> while uh, while I thought, you know, this is actually okay, like right? this isn't, you know, this is this isn't a problem. Like you know, we can absolutely deal with this. And sometimes it's sort of, um, you know, it's, it's the other people that. Uh, um, the challenges so that was probably one of the challenges for me but um, you know people, you know, you know, people soon, soon got their heads around it and it was all good
0: Nat
1: um, that's a really good question I'd love to know what everyone else is like just generally uh, their hardest thing has been and I think Alex is completely right uh, because of the work we do we're used to moving around we're used to things changing and not being as as expected you know I was expected to leave my patrol base that I was based in in Afghanistan uh, in two weeks time and then I got a phone call the helicopters coming to get you in 24 hours you've got to leave um, just it was just because of how things were and that was what I'd had, had to happen and you know the people that I'd been living with and supporting and everything for four months all of a sudden I was just being left I was leaving them the next day and I was never going to speak to them again um, like as in easily mm-hmm. um, so then like you put that into context, then you come and a pandemic comes along and it's very different. And for me, I think the hardest thing I found was um, similar to Alex, like watching everybody lose their mind, just getting really frustrated with the media of how they were like portraying this as like, this is like being in on operations. You're like being a soldier. And I totally now on reflection get that that is what people were experiencing. Obviously for us, I was like, that's really you know not what's happening and um, and Will and I we've had lots of uh, chats about mindfulness and it just kind of made me reflect more and remember that everyone's experience is their experience and you have to really respect how people are feeling
0: of course uh, it, it, worth mentioning that that you're you know mindfulness is something you're very um yeah, interested in you're also a yoga instructor is that right
1: yeah. So one of actually my coping mechanisms was I did a twice weekly yoga class on zoom for, uh, uh, like f- colleagues and friends around the UK. And that was one of my actual ways of kind of dealing with uh, the pandemic was to try and offer structure to people.
0: I think that's one observation I've made about the, the three of you is you're all very entrepreneurial, you're all you know, real polymaths. You're all doing lots of, uh, of other things outside of just being military docs. And, um, uh, Nat, uh, uh, sorry, Cat, you're you you you're involved with medical startup businesses and property investing.
3: Yes, because a military career, I'm going to say, is great, but I think probably like the other two, they can probably count how many birthdays they've missed, how many Christmases they've missed, how many times they've been away. Um, you don't, to a point, I will say, control your life if the military says go, you go. So I think there comes to a point in life when you go, I want to look at some other things and do something different. So I'm doing it because I want to be able to give back. So I want to at some point leave the military and go and work for an NGO or go and do something completely different but not have to rely on the, ma- on the money. So that's why I look at it. But I think going back to your question about um, the military and, and, and working, I think everybody who's, who's worked across the board in medicine we're very good at dealing with uncertainty and it's watching our colleagues in the military struggle with that uncertainty that's been very interesting. Because the military used to be able to control its threats. It's used to how it can deal with it, but this was something completely different. So it's been very fascinating being in the military and watching how they cope.
0: Uh, yeah that's really really interesting so we're going to draw this session to a close in the next couple of minutes but i'd just like to ask you all uh, one more question i'd I'd like you to imagine that you are a junior version of yourselves perhaps five ten years ago you're just going into medical school you're just thinking about oh i'm going to go down the military rather than the conventional nhs route is there one piece of advice you would give your younger self if you could reach back in time to a younger version of yourself, what single piece of advice would, would, would you give um, to, to yourself back then? Alex, you can start.
2: Um, I'm actually going to borrow uh, a um, quote that was given to me by a, an ocean rower. So I was exploring the idea of rowing across the Atlantic at some point with spoke to a chap in a local pub. I was at a local school and um, you gave me a copy of the book that you put in the front, it said, nothing is ever as hard or as easy as you expect. Um, I think there's a lot of truth in that. You know, there are so many things that you go through your career and think, oh my God, this is going to be so hard. It's going to be awful and actually get through you like, it's OK. And then sometimes the easy things that you think are just going to be a walk in the park are definitely not a walk in the park. So um, I think that would be my, yeah, my words to myself. Nice, nice. Uh, uh, Nat.
1: Uh, I'd say, because uh, it's one of my favourite poems now, only a person who risks is free. Because I think that we are very bound by, like, oh, what will other people think? Or, you know, oh, I don't know. But actually, you just got to kind of put two feet in and go for it.
0: Go for it. I can't know yet. I like that. Cat.
3: Um, We've got one life and I think looking back, I think um, we feel we have to conform, do what everyone did, race to our training. I think looking back, I think I'd have enjoyed it more, done more expeditions, more time out and just enjoyed the journey rather rather than racing to the end game.
0: Yeah, that really speaks to me actually, Kat. I think there's a, you know, the the hierarchical nature of medical training means that, you know, we're working through the pay grades and this idea of being a consultant is this kind of... Uh, it's, the, it's the holy grail and, and everyone's in such a rush to get there. And it's um, what's, in, what's struck me about all your careers is you've taken time out along the way to do things a bit differently, Alex, you've had your Shea Guevara experience going up from South to North America. And, um, uh, you know, Nat's been doing all kinds of deployments and expeditions and, and Kat, you've done some you know, fascinating stuff, run the marathon, they sob, you know, the, the list is endless. I, I'm just, amazed that you know that, that that your approach to this and and how kind of happy and healthy and energized you all are uh, in your careers where, where you sit right now so yeah great job well i think uh what i'll do is draw this to a close i, I would just like to say i've had a thoroughly nice time talking to you three uh it's been i didn't I, you know having known very little about the military now i i i think i feel a bit more uh, up to speed with it and i hope for all of you who've joined us on Facebook Live and Zoom, it's been useful for you too. Please post any of your comments or feedback in the chat. Uh, and uh, just to remind you of uh, some of the things I mentioned earlier, our conference on the 17th and 18th, it's gonna be really, really good. If you like this, com- this content, it's gonna be like this, but kind of times a thousand. We've got you know absolutely tons of great speakers. We really, really hope you can join us. It's hundred quid, it's an absolute steal for two days of just solid content on everything extreme medicine. Um, I would like to extend a huge thank you to our three amazing panellists, that's uh, Nat, Alex and Kat from the Army, Navy and the RAF. Guys, give yourselves a round of applause. Excellent. And thank you to everyone who's tuned in tonight. Uh, there's been well over 100, 100 of you. Um, great questions i'm sorry if i haven't got through got round to everyone there's been, it's been absolutely inundated with with amazing questions so uh, i hope i've managed to to answer most of them you can reach out to us on our facebook page if there's anything that hasn't been answered and, and we might be able to put you in touch with one of the speakers if you have a, a burning issue that you, you come across after the session so thank you guys for joining us thanks panelists uh, hopefully see you guys online soon and hopefully see you all at the conference so um Bye bye for now, stay extreme.